Formula One heads to Miami for the first time. No one can afford tickets and media passes are apparently rarer than McLaren F1s. G'day, my name is James Baldwin and welcome to another episode of Lakeside Drive's F1 podcast. In this episode, we preview the Miami Grand Prix. And I'm joined by the OG, my friend and yours. It's only two of us today. G'day, Campy, how you doing? G'day, mate, how are you? We're going right back. Very first two episodes of this podcast back in 2019. Conception. was uh, conception of our <laughs> idea to, uh, <laughs> to do a podcast, mate. What could possibly go wrong um, is something that I'm pretty sure we said back then. And, uh, well, lots, evidently. There's been some, um, some choice reviews come out in the last couple of weeks of people have... Um, all over the place. Not necessarily agreeing with our style, but it doesn't really matter. It's, I don't really care. Um, nice. If you have the time to leave a review, then it's, it's, that's great. Good for you. I'm very, very happy that you've got the time to do that. Um, Real question is, is would they actually say that to my face, Jim? <laughs> I'm not sure they'd uh, have a crack. I think they'd probably look and go, maybe not, but hey, that's what? all right. One of, the things that, uh, one of the things that people will know, uh, those of you who came along to our Melbourne Grand Prix catch-up drinks, is that Campy is just, in fact, not a younger Mick Malloy, but he is just, in fact, a beautiful teddy bear. <laughs> with, with a new beanie. Uh, yeah. Mate, I thought this would be a great opportunity. And look, thank you so much for listening. Um, and for, for those of you who do leave ratings and reviews, either positive or negative, it doesn't really matter. You're here. Part of the community. That's what we love here at Lakeside Drive. Uh, and Campy, what I thought might be good, as it's just the two of us, it is the OG, as I said, is just to have a bit of a chat about really what we were trying to do when we stood up this podcast uh, before we start talking about Miami uh, and how far it's come since then. Because, mate, I actually don't think you and I have had a proper conversation about this really since the whole thing has developed from Oz F1 into Lakeside Drive. No, it's been a bit hard. You've uh, you've moved away, which sort of threw the whole thing into a bit of a bit of a monkey barrel, and we weren't too sure what was going to happen there for a while. But uh, like all things, you've got to put in some effort at times and uh, just just work hard on it. But um, yeah, what a ride! It's been fun, mate. We're going into our fourth year now. Um, yeah, name change was interesting. Not that I'm particularly fussed about that stuff, but uh, it's more about the on-track for me. The, the on-track's getting better and better the more and more that um, the, the longer we go on, I think the more the more that you invest into the sport and the more that you look into the storylines and here and here, it just means the race day build-up's bigger and there's more to look for than what just tracks going, cars going around a track in circles. So... I think that's really it for me. The more you buy in, the more you invest, the more you get out of the sport. But as for the podcast and where we want it to go, look, I'm, you know, I've got a super busy life where I am at the moment. And, you know, pace is, uh, the pace of it's just getting faster and faster, which is a good thing. And uh, for the podcast, this is really just my, my number one hobby that I do outside of work and all the other stuff I've got on. And I had really no expectations for it. It sort of... Tell us about you, Jim. You sort of developed a bit of a dream about 18 months in that, hey, this is what you want to do full time and you want to do it professionally. There's been some really good doors open up for you, um, particularly in the last sort of six to eight months, doing some extreme stuff. You've been over in uh, the UK this week at McLaren all week with Freya. So 
you know, it's been really beautiful to watch. And uh, for me and Tommy, it's just good to be part of, you know, whatever your dream looks like a bit. So, um, yeah, it's good. Tell us a bit about that too. That's uh, it's very sweet of you, mate. It's, it's turning it's right. into just a genuine love session here. Um, that's okay, yeah, listener. Right. Normal normal service will resume. And this, <laughs> this is the thing, guys. When Campy and I guess get together, we just have a normal chat. We need the uh, we, we need the jeopardy of Tommy T to get in there to poke the bear, so to speak, and to look at me and roll eyes through either in person or over over video. Uh, no, absolutely right, mate. I think um, the the one thing that is absolutely paramount um, is that this is was never about us. It is always about you, the listener, uh, and developing a community of Australians effectively. And yes, we've got some fantastic people overseas as well. But first and foremost, it was back in 2019 about creating an Australian community to talk about Formula One uh, that in, a, in a market that wasn't necessarily well served. Of course, that was before Drive to Survive was released and, and the million other Formula One podcasts that have been released since. Um, but it, it is really, really growing. We know that there's about 2,000 of you who listen very regularly uh, every week and they are, you are rather, all over the world. Uh, we met some of you in, in Melbourne. Freya and I will hopefully meet some of you in Miami this uh, coming weekend at the Grand Prix there. And it is, it is as you say, Campy, an interesting thing. One of the things that probably not many people know about is, yes, like the Lakes I Drive, the name changed, but the show format changed really towards the the mid part of 2020. And uh, the big reason for that was actually Greg Rust, of all people. Rusty, I got in touch <laughs> with Rusty, um, and this was in the middle of the COVID pandemic, and, and he was in New Zealand. Clearly didn't have a lot to do, if I'm perfectly honest. Um, but out of the goodness Clearly. of his heart, <laughs> out of the goodness of his heart, he uh, look. I sent him an email. And this is this is part of the thing, I suppose. And and those of you who know me or have a conversation with me, you know that um, I love sending an email and and trying to get things done. Uh, and anyway, I sent him an email, asked for his, his um, some advice for, for for myself, trying to progress things forward. And, um, he called me like 25 minutes later after I sent the email and it was a really fantastic chat around what this is building into. Um, he also enjoyed Campy's breathing and when I say enjoy, it, it's probably not the right very, word. Very critical. <laughs> <laughs> so we absolutely don't hold that against him. But anyway, it's uh, just a sidebar to say that the, the show format that you have right now in front of you is a massive thanks to to Greg Rust. So uh, the show is, is doing amazing things. Campy's has said yes, Extreme E is is doing wonderful things as well. Um, also built that uh, confidence out of Lakeside Drive, and as you said, we spent uh, last week at McLaren Applied Technologies doing a new podcast for them. We spent some time at MTC as well, and had a full tour there. So the the world of motorsport absolutely opening up more and more, which is fantastic. But again, it is just about. You, the fan, that is what the point is uh, that I wanted to get across about Lakeside Drive. Campy, let's talk a little bit about F1 news before we talk about talking about rather Miami as a as a whole and the Grand Prix, what we can expect. Yep. I want to get your thoughts on Rebel Racing because this is the first one too, and we didn't really speak about this because we came straight out of the race uh, and from Imola, but it's the first one too since Malaysia 2016. DR and Max, DR yeah, number cool. one. Max number two. That was the last time that Red Bull had a one-two. Really? Epic, it's an epic amount of time, isn't it? It is an epic amount so of that, time. Well, so was that was that Max's second win? Would have been because his first win was at Spain, no DR won that Barcelona. race. So that was that was P two for Max, of course, because yeah, DR was still spanking Max back in twenty sixteen. Anyway, the point well, is, it's it's been a yeah. long time since. Um, yeah. And and the question is this 
the reliability issues that have plagued Red Bull in the first two rounds were pretty significant. Uh, and yep, we'd saw, we saw really them scrambling between the AlphaTauri cars and between the Red Bull racing cars to try and figure out what was going on. However, that was a massive stand in the right direction. Here's my question. It could potentially be a little bit too early in the season to ask this yet, Campy, but is this the sign of Red Bull racing breaking that reliability issue, getting on top of it, and really showing the performance of this car? Because we've said, haven't we, that it is looking like the Red Bull is the fastest car on the grid, but Ferrari had the most consistent package. Oh, look, it is the first, we're four races in now, four races in to a new category, essentially. New motors, new chassis, ground effect cars, you know, first four races in. And and there is a hell of a lot for these teams to learn. Um, I think the data they're collecting very, you know, for the mid, up until the halfway point of this season is all going to go into the development of the cars next year. I wouldn't worry too much about Red Bull's reliability in the first two races. These things are bound to happen. I would give the field and every manufacturer, every racing team and every driver the big thumbs up, probably except for Latifi this year, um, just because of the amount of spins he's had and the damage he's, he's created. These guys are incredible to put new cars, new chassis out on track, albeit with the same sort of technology that we ran last year in the ICUs and the ICEs and things like that. But um, to have the reliability that we've seen thus far is staggering. You go back to the 90s, you'd have you'd have seven or eight cars blowing up a session, you know. Um, think about some of those dog McLarens of yesteryear in the late 90s that just blew up, you know, leading Grand Prix by, you know, a minute and a half, you know, with, 30 laps into it. So I think I think where the sport is at the moment is uh is pretty incredible. So the answer to your question is no, I wouldn't worry about the early the early stuff. Red Bull as an organization and now an engine manufacturer and a bloody good one will have all that stuff figured out behind closed doors. Might be a few road bumps here and there, but look, the two races that you know we've seen the Red Bulls win and Max driving He's just able to hunt that Ferrari down in the back, you know, back 15, 20 laps. It's like it's like the car gets to a level of performance when the fuel's down to 20 litres and it's right, we can go and we can go quicker and harder than anybody else and they just seem to rope him in. Even the sprint race last weekend, you know, it was that last three laps that Max really pushed Leclerc and got in front of him. So I think uh, – and then gapped him by five or six seconds as well. So I wouldn't worry about it. I think they're only, what, 21 points behind after four races and they've only finished two of them and Max has won both of them. I think Max will have a year like last year where – he either gets first or second or he doesn't finish the race at all. That's how good this guy and this car is and this organisation. So I think that's where it's at. Yeah, it's a very interesting thought, especially for Max. Uh, I like that very, very much. I want to talk about the team that really surprised us with just how poorly they are doing this year, and that is Mercedes. Now, you and I spoke to Richard Saxby, who I also caught up with yeah. in person last week. It was a brilliant chat, even more stories uh, in person that – uh, absolutely phenomenal. Uh, anyway, oh, the the imagine. the interesting part that oh, I want to pull out of the interview that we had with him was that he said that f- uh, the interesting thing for him is in Mercedes now, a lot of the senior team uh, were junior members of the team when you know they started winning yeah, championships. Yeah. So they haven't really had 
a uh, an ability to try and go, well, hang on a second, this car is not fast enough, we're losing, we need to turn it around and turn it around quickly. They've been able to win consistently for, for such a long period of time. For you, Campy, and, and the question is out there, uh, and I get asked this quite often actually at the moment, when do you think Mercedes is going to bounce back? When do you think Lewis is going to be – like is this the year that Lewis takes his championship to, to beat Michael to its eight world championships? I've got an answer, but I'm interested in, in knowing what yours is. Um, look, look, the thing for me is – the thing I took out of that is that the cost cap and why Richard decided to step down was the pressure was just getting to a point where he just couldn't handle it anymore. He knew the cost cap was going to be big for Mercedes. And if you look at that organisation and the key sort of 20 to 25 personnel that have left over the last three years um, – I just don't think those environments, looking back at it, I don't think those environments are uh, easy places to work at times. Yes, they're fulfilling. Yes, they're extremely hard work, hard working, and yes, you're around the best people in the world. But realistically, you're not going to go through a whole career in a place like that with the standards it has, which I think is inducive to why they've had such high turnover at the top end after the six or seven world championships on the trot that they won. Uh, cost cap, unbelievably tough for them as well. And they knew it was going to hit hard. And I think guys like Saxby just decided, well, it's probably not worth it anymore. You know, I've given this, I've given this genuinely 10 years and decided to move on. So I think that's where a lot of Mercedes issues are probably coming out of. I think, I think the cost cap hurts the IP and the personnel that they've lost uh, throughout the organization has been hard. Um, and other teams have picked that up as well. I mean, Mercedes have learned things about these motors, getting them to, you know, near on near. I think it's 55%, you know, thermal efficiency now, which is unbelievable for uh, for any car and technology moving forward. But, you know, once these guys know how to get there, they move to other organisations and the other organisations catch up too. So I think it's a bit of, a bit of everything. We saw the culmination of it last year where Red Bull was the only team to really mix it with them, but they've just fallen right off the pace this year. Um, the other thing too is that he spoke about was will they come back and how they'll come back and what their process look like. They'll be throwing absolutely everything at it, but I think it'll be probably next year before we see them really back on top and understanding understand this car. At that point, we will discover whether they've lost too much time like the Ferraris and the Red Bulls have in this previous era. They seem to understand what was wrong, figure out what Mercedes had done a year behind what they'd done. So, yeah, it's tough for them. It's hard to watch. No one likes Lewis and driving, uh, him driving around in P14 and, and Russell really getting the better of him at times so thus far. But we're four races in. I still can't read into it. I just don't think they'll be the fourth best car on the grid this year. I want to talk about Carlos Sainz now. He's an absolute Carlos Lewis, an absolute uh, fan favorite, isn't he? Especially Lech. at Lakeside Drive. Uh, we yep. think he's an incredible driver. Um, obviously had a bit of a, a struggle to the start of the season so far. Two races in a row. Two races in a row that he unfortunately ended up in the gravel facing the wrong direction. Interestingly enough, though, he's come out uh, to one of the Formula 1 journalists and say that he's having to use different techniques that he's not used to which is an interesting comment for him because he really settled into the Ferrari last year, which is obviously very different from the McLaren the year before that. Um, these ground effect cars, of course, we know the porpoising is pretty significant across most of these teams, but he's hustling hard. Now, the the I suppose, as you say, it's four races. We're down four races in the calendar. There's a lot more to go. 
But what do you think Carlos can actually really expect now? I mean, there is a significant lead ahead with with Charles. He's going to have to have some bad luck, Charles is, for Carlos really to be able to make a significant dent and have any ability to catch up to this world championship sooner rather than later, surely. Yeah, well, Charles has made a couple of mistakes this year already, albeit, you know, one of them was in the race in third position last week. Um, but they're the times where Carlos has to maximise the points against against him. But through his own mistakes and, I mean, through some bad luck too, he hasn't been able to capitalise on those. I think, I, I've said it before, if you look at Carlos's career, he's sort of a guy that's never dominated a teammate. If we go back to his first... Max Verstappen, him and went toe to him and him and Max went toe to toe for the six or seven months that they were racing together. And then when he went to the Renault, and even with his team with Hulkenberg, yes, he was better than Hulkenberg, but he never dominated dominated those teammates like we saw, you know, Max Verstappen or Lewis Hamilton do to their respective teammates. Um, and it's interesting for me that Carlos is a guy that. He's got a benchmark, and his benchmark is very good, no matter who he's driving against. But he's sort of one of these guys that that almost drives to where his main competition is, and he's always in a tight tussling battle. Now he's a notoriously so starter, but I think the main difference between between Carlos and Leclerc is uh, is that Carlos is best and worst. There's a big gap between it, but Leclerc's a lot more consistent and. Carlos will have weekends this year where he beats Leclerc by half a second and everyone's scratching their heads going, geez, where did this pace come from? And there'll be times where he's three-tenths off and scratching his head going, how do we get back? Where is this three-and-a-half-tenths in this car? I just think that's the nature of the two drivers. Um, I think the reason he is trying new things is because he's he's really trying to get the best out of himself. Out of you know, I mean, we saw DR with it last year really struggle to adapt to a new car. And this may just be that Carlos has encountered something that he's never had to encounter before and it'll just take some time to get used to. But these guys are consummate professionals. They'll figure it out and they'll uh, they'll get better and better as they as they as they go on. Ferrari's not the team that it was in yesteryear where it's playing favourites. They don't need to be playing favourites yet. I still think there's enough meat on the table for them moving forward. It's going to be not uh, probably they'll, they'll be looking at next year and the year after for world championships because it's, it's. I don't think their car's there yet. Um, but Ferrari's shown some faith in him, giving him an extension this early on to, to sort of match that Leclerc, um, that Leclerc thing because they see the value in him. So I just think a bit of time, four races in, we're all jumping on the bandwagon or people are jumping on the bandwagon pretty quick and it could turn around really quickly as well. So, yeah. Yeah, Long very winded, well said. But- no, very well said. Love that and look forward to seeing Carlos back on top ASAP. Who was back on top really last weekend was McLaren. Um, Pay significantly different from the first two rounds. Uh, lots of questions around whether it's a track-specific pace like we would have spoken about in 2019 and 2020 with DR in Renault, especially where he was absolutely stonking everyone uh, around circuits like Spa, for example. But for for this rest of – well, for the, for the rest of the front half of the season, I should say, the tracks start to get a little different depending on where we go. Uh, and the conversation around Imola and Albert Park being somewhat similar is there. 
certainly McLaren looked a lot stronger in Imola than a lot of people were expecting. So the question is, Campy, is the McLaren, the MCL 36, is it a track-specific fast car or are they making some real gains that other teams maybe not necessarily like Mercedes making yet to be able to better themselves for each each weekend? Oh, I think the, I think the car that we're seeing on track now compared to race to compared to week one and that second test are polar opposites. They've figured out their issues. Andreas Seidel's got to be after that practice two in Melbourne on day one. He was super happy. He was walking around, big jump in his step. Um, just and then he just looked like the pressure was off him because they'd figured out the issue and they were back on pace. I think well, the first race we go to, which probably this weekend, Miami, I believe it's supposed to be pretty hot over there, you know, sort of mid-30s. Is that right? So that'll be a test. I mean, sun over there, new track. Yeah, it'll be a test. We'll see how this braking issue goes, if they've figured it out. I think the comparisons between Melbourne and Imola are right. And if you look at track temperatures and, and the way it sort of played out weather-wise, they were very similar too, except that we saw Imola with the wet. Uh, we had all that moisture in the air in Melbourne, but it wasn't quite apparent. So, oh, it's a wait and see, really, isn't it? Mm. I, would, I think their main championship rival at the moment is probably Mercedes. I don't think they've got the pace at the moment to match Red Bull or Ferrari, even if it's track-specific. Track the only track that they'll be able to stay in front of a Ferrari is probably Monaco and uh, and a... Uh, and a Red Bull just because of the nature of the track and the passing, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, yeah, look, we're four races in. I mean, let's not get on the bandwagon and say this. We're not ruling in absolutes and, you know, authoritarianism at the moment. It's sort of, yeah, there's a long season. We've got, what, 21 races left? Is that like what we've, we've got this year? It feels like there's it's a massive. lot more races. yeah. A lot more races than needs so, to be. Well, look, bandwagoning. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm here for it to be honest. Because let's let's get onto this bandwagon. Rumor mill. Oscar Piastri to replace Nicholas Latifi. The the rumors are rife that it's even going to happen halfway through this year. I don't necessarily think that's going to happen. Um, but it is potentially an option for Williams next year. I did raise this in our last podcast in terms of a potential partnership with Renault to get uh, some new engines. And on our next point, we'll talk a little bit more about that. But for you, Campy, Nick Latifi, you mentioned very early on in the podcast that you know, you're not necessarily impressed with his performance so far with our f- favourite Canadian, uh, also the Prime Minister of Canada as well, it seems. But for, for Oscar <laughs> de Piastri to replace him halfway through his season, I think is ridiculous and stupid. I don't think Jos Capito is going to let that happen as much as I want to see Oscar in the seat. Seems like a dumb idea, but let's talk about the bandwagon and rumour mill campy. Nope, not going to happen. He's a paid driver. He's bringing way too much cash to that organisation to be uh, to be getting someone like Oscar in, unfortunately. Oscar would be way quicker than him straight off the bat, I believe. But it's not going to happen. I don't think there's much in the rumour. That's just people on the internet doing their things, a bit like us, Jim, making it up as they go along. And <laughs> this, one's got some, uh, this one's got some heat. And uh, we'll move on from there straight away. Can't see it happening. No, there's no way Renault's. There's no way Renault's going to let him go. But there's no way that Williams will let Latifi go either because he just brings too much cash to the organisation. And they'll be looking at last year's results, going, "Oh, geez, we can still get a bit more out of him." So there you go. 
Here's a big thing, uh, and this has been talked about for a very long time to the point actually where we don't, I actually don't think we've really mentioned this on the podcast, but it's Audi and Porsche and their entry back into Formula One. Um, so the new oh, engine regulations, yes. 2026. Uh, we know that Porsche has showed really significant interest in uh, rebel powertrains. And last year there was conversations going on about Audi and McLaren. Now, on top of that is now that they have stalled those conversations potentially. And so Aston Martin may be looking at partnering with Audi. <laughs> the problem is Williams also <laughs> seem to be open to partnering with <laughs> partnering with a different engine manufacturer as well. So it does seem that basically if you've got a Mercedes power unit at the moment, you're willing to talk to Porsche or Audi. Um, Campy, this yep. has been going around for a long time. As, as we know, as I said, we haven't really spoken about this on the podcast, but I mean, it's going to be good for the sport for for these guys yep. to enter. Porsche and Audi, Porsche and Audi are under that VW, that Volkswagen Group banner, and F1 has been trying to get these guys into the sport for a long time. Everybody thought that now that Red Bull had acquired the powertrain on paper, now, but Honda's still involved. Red Bull have acquired the powertrain engine company off of Honda. They thought everyone in the in the paddock had talked about that leaves the door open for Red Bull to go and deal with the uh, go and do a deal with the VW group whether it be Porsche or Audi to get into F1 which has been their target for a long long time the VW group doesn't really see F1 as a great investment historically hence why we haven't seen their manufacturers involved they just think it's dominated by by a couple of big big dogs like Ferrari and McLaren and uh, and Mercedes too and they just don't want to put their hat in the ring for that but it's certainly paved the way now the new regulations in 2026 uh, the Volkswagen group's been really vocal about the MGUH the heat recovery part of of the motor um, being way too expensive for them to invest in. The other teams have have uh, spent, you know, sort of eight, nine, ten years into into this technology and other parts of the car now that they think they are way too far behind the the uh, the ball game to catch up to catch up to everybody. Else. So they've been vocal about that. So they want they want that part of the car removed. Um, where some of the manufacturers, right, Ferrari. Don't really want them there anyway. So there's a bit of politics going on behind closed doors within organisations. But I think I think Formula One wants Volkswagen Group involved. How that'll happen? Lawrence Stroll is a good businessman, smart guy. He'll probably put a deal together. You got guys like Toto, even Zach. These guys would love to have the VW Group in because the bigger and better the sport in the manufacturing space, the better for everybody, really. So. Um, these guys are smart boys. They'll be able to work with the VW group in a various you know, business sides of the sport to get them involved. And uh, there's a lot of tender processes for work out there, a lot like McLaren applied. You know, there's a lot of McLaren parts on all cars this year. Just, you know, the way it works, they might get VW group in somehow like that. So they start supplying certain parts and certain, certain regs just to, you know, wet their toes a bit to get them in the sport. But eventually they will be here. Yeah, well, 2026 seems where it's going to be with these new regulations and power units. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Certainly, as you said, with Lawrence Stroll, uh, after he's completely killed that team, maybe he can bring it back again by bringing another brand involved with Aston Martin. Let's talk now about Miami. Now, with this is going to be a pretty fantastic race by all accounts. It's going to be one massive party. So set up the top. Yeah. It's been impossible to get tickets. Uh, the pre-sale 
didn't even happen. <laughs> Apparently all the tickets were sold before pre-sale and then some tickets were released afterwards for a very, very hefty amount of money um, for a Friday or a Saturday or a Sunday or a or three-day pass, which uh, it's, it's not worth it, let's be perfectly honest, in terms of what you actually get to see from the GA area. Anyway, um, it's going to be a big party. As I said, Lewis Hamilton thinks it's going to be the best race of the year. For you, Cappy, it's 57 laps, Apple 19 corners, 5.4 kilometres. It's a brand new circuit. Yes, it is in the car park, but they have laid some new tarmac across the car park around the Hard Rock Stadium. The one key thing that I keep hearing from people is, let's just remember that it's not Miami Beach. It is in the swamp part of Miami up near the stadium, so it might not look as pretty as people are expecting. <laughs> oh, good on them. I mean, they've wanted to make... They've wanted to make the US a destination. And I think Drive to Survive really solidified the the fans of this sport and it's brought people into it so that now they're interested. F one is not is it's seen differently to what a NASCAR or an IndyCar looks like in the States. They're very they're very redneck sports, they're very niche to a certain group of people but f1 sort of transcends that um just because it's got history it's got a lots of glitz and glamour which parts of america love i suppose um you know that fame thing keeping it really exclusive in miami beach big party exclusive expensive i mean they're really they're really catering to a certain market are they actual f1 fans or is it just going to be a ton of celebrities there probably and i'll hate watching that on tv but hey there it goes hey good on them they're trying new things um we've got three races in in the states now with vegas next year so uh, it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out and what it looks like on tv do i think it'll be a bit of a train wreck yes do i think that'll be a bit over the top this weekend with uh all the extra BS going on that we're probably not used to. Absolutely. Is it going to be more Americanized? Probably. Are they going to do grid walkouts like they did a couple of years ago in Coda and it'd be way over the top with a celebrity hanging off each of the driver's hands? Yes. Am I going to hate that? Yes. But uh, if it gets more people watching their sport, I don't particularly care because I think it's a great sport. It's great for people to get involved and great to watch and, hey, more people to listen to us, Jim. So, um, yeah. <laughs> one, one of the things I would say, if if you are worried or concerned about the Americanization of Formula One, you don't have to watch every race. There is no one forcing you to watch every race. And I think there will be absolutely races like this. As you said, Campy, the glitz, the glamour, the grid walk is going to be interesting. I look forward to Martin Brundle saying I did because I can uh, many, many times to many different security uh, guards of... <laughs> B to G grade celebrities, which I imagine are going to be on the grid for Formula One. Then, how now, many rap? How many rappers do you think we'll see that we don't even know who they are? Most of them. Let's be honest. Well, <laughs> Absolutely. 20, what are we up them. to? Twenty chains now, and little, little, little Wayne, or what? <laughs> oh, it's just <laughs> good lord, uh, mate. I think you're you spot on though in terms of of how it's going to look. Um, interestingly, with the Miami Grand Prix, and and I, I don't understand this, but they uh, like they do the driver's parade with the, the truck that drives the drivers around. They have a bit of a chat. They're doing the same with the team principals for this weekend. I think that's absolutely ridiculous. Um, none of the team principals actually want to do this either, but talking about the drive to survive thing, people like Gunter and Toto and Christian 
all now have massively bigger profiles than they than any team principal has ever done before. So in that same vein, they might need to suck it up and just get on the on the truck, Campy. Whatever happened to the drivers being the stars? Well, I mean, team principals, they are not they're not people people. They're not they are smart, highly high functioning individuals that probably hate fame and attention, but it's a part of their job that they just sort of get thrust upon when they when they amount to these positions and how they handle it's interesting, but I don't like it. But hey, at school this is this is America, man. They can do what they want over there and <laughs> promoters can do it however they'd like it, you mm. know. They they get a crack at it to get it right once and uh the fans will speak here. The, the hardcore fans will speak on about it. This is a part of the sport too that, you know, I can't stand. I, you know, I somewhat I go to the Oz Grand Prix and it was great. Loved it. We met some awesome people there, but there's just a part of me that just loses faith in humanity when I go to events like this. <laughs> you know. <laughs> there's, oh, there's people that have nothing to do with this sport, absolutely don't know anything about it. Yet spend tens of thousands of dollars on all these ritzy tickets to all these fancy places that cut the rest of it out just because it's seen to be the place to be for that weekend in Melbourne. And, you know, that that side of our sport frustrates me a bit. Yeah, there's plenty of that going off. And I'm I'm a bit cynical at five to seven on a Monday morning. So, (laughs) well, no one blames you for it. Well, let's talk about what uh, your expectations are for the track and who you think will be significantly powerful here. As we said, we've come off the back of Imola with a one ball, one two for Red Bull, first time since Malaysia 2016. Do you think they're able to continue that pace going forward? Do you think Charles is going to be able to drag back a little bit of that with the Ferrari? No, nah, I think it'll be. I think it'll be Red Bull will dominate, or Max and Red Bull will dominate. Whether Perez gets uh, Leclerc or Sainz, who knows? That guy can be, you know, right with Max or forty seconds behind him at times. So, I think I think Red Bull. That'll be my tip every race this year. Uh, I think Danny Rick. I actually think he's really been on top of Lando this year, in terms of. Race pace, uh, not so much over one lap, but he's getting it together over one lap. Unlike we saw last year where there was consistently, you know, three to five tenths between the best of them sitting there going, what are you doing, Danny Rick? But it just seems like they're out of sync all the time. They're not running a lap, you know, behind each other. It's like Lando will do a lap, then Danny Rick will do a lap and he'll better it by half a second. Then Lando will get his run. And I think Danny Rick's been on top really race pace-wise all year. Um, just picks up that one, one to one to one and a half tenths in qualifying. I, I think you'll, I think this is the weekend that we'll start to see Danny Rick outperform Lando on a consistent basis. Um, so I'm looking forward. I'm most excited to that. Most excited for that because it's been pretty slim pickings and frustrating to watch F1 this year as a Danny Rick fan. I mean, after that first race, I thought, geez, this is going to be a long year, Jim. How on earth are we going to do a podcast and remain positive after this? But uh, the podium last weekend, albeit very lucky for McLaren, um, suggests to me that Danny Rick's going to have a win this year, a couple of wins and a couple of podiums. So it'll be, it'll be good for us, I think. And uh, Lando will still be winless by the end of the year. Say for our for our mob over here. Yes, it certainly has, but that's okay because we still have faith, like I'm sure you do 
to Dear Listener. Well, thank you so much, Campy, for previewing the Miami Grand Prix. Of course, we will have a lot more to talk about next week after the Miami Grand Prix. As I mentioned earlier, Freya and I will be around, probably not at the track at this rate, but certainly around. Uh, head over to our Discord for all of those details or on our Instagram for the best place to find that. And also a massive shout out to our Discord community. Fantastic as always, all the time, great content, especially over race weekend. If you need somebody to go to chat about everything F1, that is your place to do it. But it's time to say goodbye. We will be chatting after the Miami Grand Prix. Sorry, mate. The missus just come in the side door outside and absolutely scared the shit out of me. Oh, mate. Oh, it's got the fright of my life. What are you doing, you squid? Oh, you just come through the door. You're hilarious. You look beautiful at 6 a.m., darling. <laughs> oh, good Lord. That is <laughs> That's a good sting squid, for the end. Squid recovery system deployed. <laughs>